dedication we are parenting for liberation it's a new generation we got dedication we're parenting for liberation good morning this is trina green brown with parenting for liberation i am here with the wonderful illustrious feminist author and all things fab jamia wilson thanks for joining me today oh thank you so much for having me i'm so happy to be here thank you so jamia is a good friend of mine we have um been in community spaces together with move to end violence so she is a movement leader movement builder an activist a feminist an incredible storyteller a media extraordinaire. She just does all things media. And she has recently wrote this book that is so amazing. Everybody needs to go order it called Young, Gifted, and Black that we are so excited about. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, particularly as we think about like parenting for liberation, it's Black History Month, storytelling, imagery, how it's so important for Black children to see themselves as free, as whole, as powerful, as capable of all things. Your book just came at such a timely time. Thank you so much. So, you know, tell folks more about yourself. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about who you are, your background, and describe the book a little bit? Yes, thanks so much for having me and for such a wonderful introduction. I am the director and publisher of the Feminist Press and have the honor of just doing work at the intersection of my passions, writing, scholarship, and activism that is advancing gender justice and racial justice. And I grew up on books that the feminist press published. And so it feels very profound for me at this time in my life to be able to be the first woman of color running the press at age 47. Um, that's you young, gifted, and black, too. You young, gifted, and black, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I, I think about it. The organization's 10 years older than I am, yet um, in its 47th year, I got to be, <laughs> you're right, young, gifted, and black um, in the trajectory of our org. I love that. I hadn't even thought about it that way. And I also am a writer, so I have written my own books as well as contributed uh, as a journalist to other spaces. Um, in publications like the New York Times and CNN and um, Elle Magazine, Refinery29. I'm a columnist for Rookie Magazine, which is a magazine for teen girls. And uh, the most recent book that we talked about was Get Gifted in Black. And also, I wrote the oral history for the Women's March in a book called Together We Rise Behind the Scenes at the Protest Heard Around the World, uh, which was the a great honor to be able to bear witness to those stories as well uh, as a historian for that project. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about um, Young, Gifted, and Black. Like what inspired you to write this book? What called you to say this is important, this is necessary for Black children and the Black community in general? I really felt like it was necessary when the opportunity came across my desk. Um, the concept had already been discussed um, with illustrator Andrea Pippins, who was my partner in this book, as well as my publisher, Quarto, uh, Quarto um, my publisher, and they were amazing and came to me with this project. And I immediately said yes, because it was the book that I had wanted um, written for myself. 
and as a child and had yearned for. So just being able to be asked to be a part of this project and given so much autonomy and space to curate what kinds of stories would be in this book and to partner with an illustrator who I so have respected and admired for years as we've been growing in our own career. Um, I just really knew that I was going to make possible whatever time was needed to, to write this book because it just felt like it was necessary. Also, just from a spiritual perspective, uh, I kind of really believe in putting things out into the world and tensions and then them happening. And I went back to look at one of my diary entries from over a decade ago where I said that I wanted to write a children's book as a part of my bucket list. So when this happened, immediately I was able to uh, scratch that off. And it was kind of amazing that I felt like this thing that I had dreamed about doing over a decade ago was actually coming true. Um, and so I just really believe in the force of putting your dreams out there. Hmm. You just said it's it, it was a dream that you had. And I also remember in the book, you talk about your grandfather coming to you in your dream and telling you to write and to tell the stories that you wish you would have had growing up. Can you tell me a little bit more about that dream and how your um, grandfather has in, inspired and influenced you? Yes, yes. So I had a dream about him that was one of the most lucid dreams I've had um, with him in it. Um, since he left us in this world um, when I was about 13 years old. And it just was a really clear dream. And in the dream, he was in a hospital bed, but talking to me very clearly about um, why I should move to New York, which was something I had been on the fence about when I'd gotten into grad school. But he had been um, a grad student at NYU at a time when there weren't a lot of African-Americans studying there. Um, and my grandfather was born in 1911, just to give you a little context around, you know, what a big deal that was at that time for him to travel from South Carolina up here to study and seek better opportunities due to segregation at home. And so in the dream, when he said, go to New York and write, go to New York and study, that felt so profound to me because for so much of my life, he had, in the time that we'd shared together, he had already kind of been in dementia and hadn't been able to talk in his regular strong voice for a long part of it, mm. that because it felt so palpable and so real, I knew that it was something that was bigger than this claim, <laughs> telling me to just follow this opportunity that I'd been given to do this program at uh, NYU. And ever since I moved to New York, I just felt a strong sense of inertia <laughs> moving me in the direction of purpose. And so, um, I think that I could have written anywhere, but I think that the opportunities that I needed to build on in order to really shape and hone my voice, many of them happened in this space. And so I'll forever be grateful for his message. Um, and, I, and I feel like he was kind of sending me a nudge from the other realm. Yes. And in your book, right? So in Young, Gifted, and Black, it begins with this love letter um, to not only the children of the future generations and to the folks who will read the book, but it's also um, a letter to our ancestors. So I really just appreciate and admire the way that you have brought in, you know, your grandfather um, and also thinking about the legacy of telling the stories around Black heroes um, and sheroes. Um, and then also just the, the whole concept of the intro to the book. It's a welcome. It's a welcome 
letter to the book, but it, it really just is a beautiful love letter. Um, and you describe it as a love letter. And it reminds me of James Baldwin's um, How He Opens the Fire Next Time, which is a letter to his, his nephew. And then ta Coates, who writes a letter um, to his son recently in the Between the World and Me. And then I also like inspired by those, those writers wrote a letter um, to my son um, and my daughter around, you know, the world that they're living in uh, might be trying to intentionally set them up for failure, but they will, they will thrive, they will succeed, they will um, overcome, right? And for them to see their power and their glory. And so this book is, is, is that it's an inspirational love letter. So tell me more about like, how you manifest this love you have for your people in this book. Yes, so what was so beautiful about the research experience and just hearing these stories was just knowing that there were people who, you know, even if they never knew me or knew our generation, loved us and the promise of our liberation so much that they defied barriers and endured great suffering to make the world more free for us. And that to me feels like so much love and was guided in love <laughs> um, mm. and love for the collective. And so the, in my way, I was thinking, you know, this is an offering of love from me and from Andrea to the next generation to say, we want you to have this document that shows our greatness as a, pe as a, as a people and that um, claims our rightful position in history and the present and in the future as trailblazers and so I, I feel that very much that it was a tribute experience <laughs> but I felt like this is a tribute to the love um, that made it possible for us to be able to even create such a book in a landscape where 80% of the children's literature industry is white. Wow wow that data is helpful to give us some insight about like the context of like what messages are available for our children and just think about all of the multiple efforts that have been made recently around amplifying images of blackness in literature in children's books and in other books so i think about like the young girl marley diaz who collected a thousand books and then it's just like imploded and exploded into like so much more and I think she writes with Elle now as well. And so just, and she wrote a book recently that just come out. And I also think about an interview that I had with Mia Birdsong. And she talked about when she pregnant with one of her children, she intentionally started to collect a list of books that had Black characters, but not Black characters who were um, in slavery or in civil rights, but just like their Blackness was not the center of the book, but they were the lead characters, the main characters who happened to be Black. So they were just living everyday life and how that is so important. And then I also just think about, you know, it is February like 19th and Black Panther just came out. Wakanda forever. And like, oh my just, gosh, I can't <laughs> wait to go to Wakanda. <laughs> you gotta go to Wakanda. Um, but just like how that movie right now is like one of the top selling Marvel films. Um, it's supposed to like sell 400 million by, by the end of this week. Um, so it's like doing so well, but because it's because there's such a need and a desire um, and yearning to see the beauty of blackness in its many shapes and forms, you know, beyond oppression, right? And so your book lays out 52 people, which I think was intentional. You'll tell me more about that. And, I, and it comes out in Black History Month. So it's like super timely. It has 52 people 
tell me more about like how you selected these 52 because I know that was probably like the hardest part was to select. The yes, it was really hard. Um, I think I was, when I first talked to the editors, you know, I was given a little, a, a few more. Um, there was an opportunity to, you know, mention a few more people and then, but it was still a small list. And the 52 number is great because you can go through one a week if you're reading it with the children um, and plan. But I also think that even with that 52, it was really hard. You know, a lot of people have reached out to me saying, oh, I really love this person and they're not in it, or I really want to read about this person and they're not in it. And so I've really been focusing on what we said in the introduction, which is that this is a, start, a beginning and not an end, a start to a conversation. And I think it's a testament to the need for more books like this, that people are so attached to wanting to see all of their faves <laughs> in this book. Um, because, you know, we were only able to fit 52 um, in a book where we could have put thousands of amazing people who are deserving to be in it, millions, um, including the people who are buying and reading it. So that was the toughest part of this process whenever people ask is just really getting it down to that number and sticking to it because there are just so many people who I would have loved to have in the book, but we had page count. And we also want to make sure that the book is accessible to enough people that little hands can hold it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's enough to buy it and all of those things. Yeah. No, I was like 52. I was like, oh, that's perfect. You can study one per week. And like this book is, like you said, it's the beginning of like sharing about these particular people. And then like you could really like spend a whole week or create a curriculum around this book that's like every week you pick a person you dig a little deeper on Monday, you read this part and then you start to do some research on the internet or you, you know, you try something out that they've done. You know, I just think that there's so much power to the, the like intentionality around the 52. And I know it had to be hard to like not pick everyone. Right. Cause I just named James Ball and I was like, I don't think James Ball is in the book. Uh, <laughs> no, that one was really good because I love him. And, right. And it was interesting too, because, you know, sometimes because I work in publishing, I understand a little bit about, you know, really sticking to the premise of the book and all of those things. And a big part of what the focus of this book is, is talking about how different strengths people had as children influenced who they grew up to become so that children can see in themselves, oh, mm -hmm. these things I'm doing right now will lead to other things I'm doing in the future. Or just like Bastiat, who was really interested in anatomy and who was taking art classes, I could end up really making a splash in the artistic community for years mm -hmm. um, and shaping the direction of art, et cetera. And so the thinking was really about people who had childhood experiences that shaped the change making they were doing in the world. And so although all of us have, it was, you know, in some stories it's more pronounced than others in order to tell that part of the story as well. And so that was constantly something we were thinking about in terms of who we were going to be engaging. And then also really making sure in our calculus of what stories we're telling, um, you know, we wanted to make sure this book is global and it is published by a UK-based publisher, although they're also in the United States and in Australia. And we really wanted to make sure that this book was not just African-American mm -hmm. focused in terms of conversations about great black people, because you see this happens in a lot of other contexts where we hear about African-Americans, but we don't hear about famous black uh, British leaders or famous black French leaders 
or mm-hmm. blacks in Australia. You know, some people were really fascinated that we included Australian blackfish. And I did a lot of research asking around to Australians I knew about what, how people define blackness in Australia and who would consider themselves black um, in Australia to figure that out. And so it was really also about that, really figuring out how we can have a group of really diverse people in the book who represent myriad perspectives of blackness. So we have people like Bessie Coleman, who is the first black woman, African-American and Native American indigenous pilot to get their pilot license in this country. But there might be some other people who might not have been represented, but it was really important to kind of show that kind of perspective as well. So I wanted to give a little bit of a background around how we did the choosing to make sure that we had people with disabilities and people who are LGBTQ and people who have been to Antarctica, like Matthew Henson, (laughs) and all sorts of different perspectives of Blackness. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, I really appreciate you teasing out a little bit more about how you made the choices. And I did notice the intentionality of not being centered in America, like not only African-American identity, but also like the broad diasporic range of Blackness in multiple places. And, you know, every Black History Month, right, I, like, have to pick a story to, like, go to my son's school and read to his third grade class. And I always struggle. There are lots of options. But I feel like my options are always, like, between slave narrative and or civil rights narrative. And I'm like, I want other stories. But Black History Month is really about looking at the history of Black folks in the U.S. But I'm like, can it be broader? (laughs) Well, it's like a struggle every year like which story do I tell which story will inspire my son and the only and the one other black child in the room because we go to he goes to school here in Orange County and so I'm like I want a story that's going to uplift them and not make them only think of themselves as like being oppressed people but I also like how do I explain to these other non-black children predominantly white young people in his class to actually see the legacy of this country from a place of noting their privilege and acknowledging their differences, but also seeing the strength and resiliency of Black folks. And so I'm like, how do I do all of that with third graders in a book that tells a story? (laughs) And so I actually told his teacher about your book. (laughs) And she's like, I've never heard of that book. I was like, it's really new and you should check it out. And she's like, can you bring it to me to my, so I'm going to share it with her. I'm going to share her my copy. And it's interesting because Terrence told me the other day, like, oh, she was looking up Young, Gifted, and Black online while we were in class. And she was, like, scrolling through it um, to, like, get a sense of, like, what what, is, what it was about because, you know, he had seen it and read it. And so it's, like, your book gives options and, and choices that don't have to be limited to a month, right? I'm really going to try to encourage the teacher to do it throughout the year. I'm going to be, like, pick one a week. You have all, these, all this time. Um, I love it. Oh, you know, we also talked about, me and the teacher talked about, like, you know, if it's 52, each student could be assigned a person in the book and then have to, like, write a report, do some more research about the person, and so they could choose from the book. Um, So she was like, we could pass the book around and have everyone choose someone. And I was like, yeah, they totally could do that. So there are ways that, you know, this book will be able to be used in curriculum and schools to really broaden folks' understanding about Blackness. So that's really dope. I love it. And thank you so much. I think that, you know, parents and constant conversation with teachers is a really good thing and really influences our children and and what they learn. And so that makes me really excited to hear that as well. 
And I wanted to thank you too about what you said about the global aspect of the book. Uh, I just learned that Andrea, who illustrated the book, is now preparing all of the lettering for the French translation of the book. So Yay! now, available <laughs> to all our French speaking next generation Black change makers who are in the Caribbean and Africa and Quebec and people who are first language French speakers. And so I'm really excited about that also, um, as That's French so has been a language I've studied for a long time and love French so much. And I'm really thrilled that it's going to be available for um, non-English speaking young people to, to read as well. Oh, Araya's studying study in French. She's like, so love... she speaks it all the time. So as soon as it comes out in French, I'm going to get it for her. Yeah. Speaking of which, I cannot find the book. I was asking Araya, like, can you find the book? Like, they're home. It's President's Day, so they're not at school. And I cannot find the book, which is a good thing. That means that one of them have it or they have it in their room. Because I've had it out. I was just like the dinner table, you know, checking it out and preparing for this um, and having them like look at it. That means that like young people have their hands on it and they're absorbing it, which is great. <laughs> that makes me so happy. And that's a shout out to you and also to um, Andrea Pippin. Like the art is beautiful. It is beautiful. So talented. It is like, can we print these up and put them on walls? Can we make a collage of all of these as murals? Like, it is gorgeous. Thank you so much. I just feel so honored to be able to work with Andrea. And she had her son um, right as we were finishing up the book, which was really profound, too, in the book. She dedicated it to Issa, her son. And uh, mm -hmm. just the love and that art has been really gorgeous um, and also just I've seen pictures she um, has been doing paintings of the art on the, oh, nice. on the walls of Royal's Bookstore in England right now, where she's doing some events and just like in real time painting the glass at the store and just thinking about, wow, one day her son is going to be shown pictures of this. I mean, he was there, but he's very little. <laughs> so to wow. remind him of what, um, and I just thought that was so perfect to be like, mommy loves you this much. Mm. Um, and she wrote this book and was sharing this art with young people all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's that love letter piece. This is a gift of love. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to see send photos up, send photos of the of the artwork on the wall because it is beautiful. And I was looking at just like the the like fine details of the art. Um, every person has like a crown. It's not sitting on their head, but behind everyone, it's like. Yeah, it's like the consistency and also the beauty of like these are kings and queens like just to see like that piece around like royalty like we are especially when I'm thinking about Wakanda forever uh, <laughs> that 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 like that intentional kind of like fine detailing that that is consistent throughout behind no matter if it's like a soccer player who's like kicking a ball on the like the picture is someone like actually kicking a ball but there's still a crown <laughs> yes and I, the crowns, I mean, even it really made me tear up a little bit um, because she did images of us um, for the beginning of the book and we had little crowns and I had a little crown. And, yes, you do. Um, that meant a lot to me yes, <laughs> as well. To see that and how um, when that terrible situation happened where that little boy was um, – modeling for H&M and they put him in that um, jungle shirt and mm -hmm. 
there was all this conversation around representation and disparaging our children. And she made a beautiful portrait of him with a crown and kind of fixed it <laughs> to say, this is who you really are, not mm-hmm. what this ad shows. And that was really beautiful as well. And he had a crown in that, yeah. which I thought was really gorgeous. Yes. Oh, she's incredible. Please give her my love. So, so one more thing. Um, so you titled the book Young, Gifted, and Black, paying tribute to the great Nina Simone. Um, I'm actually going to play the song when we close out um, the podcast um, just to pay homage. But, you know, why Young, Gifted, and Black? So, you know, what's so beautiful to me about this title is that that song was a tribute to Lorraine Hansberry that Nina Simone wrote in memory of her dear friend who had said that she wanted young, gifted, and Black people to celebrate their strengths, and she wanted young people to know that about themselves. And so I thought what was really gorgeous about it was it was this homage of appreciation and love and community and beloved community, like you're saying, and just really the circular nation uh, nature of Ubuntu, right? That idea that we get from our Southern African ancestors, um, the I am because you are, because we are. <laughs> and so that part to me was really profound. The Young, Gifted, and Black was kind of, you know, saying you are Young, Gifted, and Black, and the world needs your talents and needs your expertise and needs your celebration and it needs your joy. And that is true. And it also needs my joy and it needs my celebration. It needs my appreciation. And we need all of that happening together for us all to be liberated. And that's what I loved about the book. And even just the honor of being able to write it with Andrea as two black women who have not physically met in person yet, but have been following really? each other's work and supporting each other's work. Uh, you live on different continents but like her success is my success, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and her wounds are my wounds. Like we are connected and we are bonded as black women in this world and through struggle. And although, you know, her migration pattern and history is she's African-American Brazilian and mine is a different um, background and legacy. We are connected in this mm-hmm. diasporic way. That is really beautiful. So I just, I love that aspect of the Young Gift and Black title and the story and how we were brought together and our shared recognition of that and the need for the world to see and recognize that too and for our kids to have these resources to see themselves in glory. Um, really beautiful and profound to me and I can't wait till I actually get to meet her too. <laughs> um, wow. But we're, we're very much connected without having met yet. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank both of you so much for doing this incredible work. Um, Thank you. Tell folks how they can get the book. Thank you so much for having me and for all the amazing liberated work that you do. And anyone who wants to get the book, you can get it where books are sold. I love to encourage you to get it from your favorite independent bookstore. They can either have it there or order it for you. Or if not, you can get it directly from Quarto, or you can get it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Or, you know, I really like to encourage people to buy it from Black-owned businesses like Human Bookstore. So that's H-U-E-M-A-N bookstore.com. Nice. Thank you. All right. Um, As we close, I was thinking you said that this is only the beginning and not the end. And I totally believe that's true. 
Um, and you also said that um, that is dedicated to the folks who are ancestors and also the future generation. And then you also said that um, this folk, that folks in the book are the heroes, but also the people who are reading them are also the heroes. And I also just want to acknowledge you as one of the heroes who would, if we had 53, you know, you totally should be here um, as someone who was trailblazing, you know, and lighting the path for our children's liberation um, in literature so that they can see themselves, to read about themselves and know that they are young, gifted and black. So thank you so much for your work. Oh, thank you so much. And that just made my heart sing. You know, I don't have any biological children yet. And so just hearing what you said really means so much to me because the love that I feel just like seeing pictures of your child and my cousin's children and children I haven't met of all colors around the world sending me these books like, makes me feel like I am having an impact on children's lives, even though I don't get the honor yet to have one in my home. <laughs> that is my child. I feel like, um, I'm connected in the lives of children right now in a beautiful way while I'm thinking about shaping my own family. So I just wanted to thank you for what you said because it means a lot to me because I've really been intentional about how can I help um, in the raising of our children, right? <laughs> in the village with what I bring to the table. And that just means a lot to me to have your support in that. Hmm. Well, thank you for doing it for all of our children, um, for all of thank our children to be free. Thank you so much. So good talking to you. Um, thanks Thank for you. this time. Of course. All right. I'm going to play the song as we hang up. Thank you. <laughs> Lots of love. Love.